Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, I'm delighted to have Linda Cass as my guest. Linda Cass is the author of the new novel, Bessie, which was named a Hasty Book List Most Anticipated Historical Fiction Title for 2023. She has also written two other historical novels, Tasa's Song and A Ritchie Boy. A Ritchie Boy was the 2021 Ippy Gold Medal winner in historical fiction. Linda began her career as a magazine journalist and correspondent for regional and national publications. She's the founder and owner of Gramercy Books, an independent bookstore in Columbus, Ohio. So welcome, Linda. Thank you, Meryl. Happy to be with you. Thank you. I've read Bessie and I enjoyed it very much. Um, As the first and only Jewish Miss America, Bess Meyerson is unique in American Jewish folklore. Uh, To begin with, why don't you give us a brief synopsis of your new novel? Sure, sure. Um, I tackled the early life of um, Bess Meyerson, which is why I call it Bessie, which was her nickname. Uh, it, It really... Um, is most interesting to me to explore the moral and psychological underpinnings um, of people. And she was anything but a young girl and young woman who was prepared to be a beauty queen. (laughs) That was not where her life was going. That was not a factor that was important in her culture and in her community. Um, but uh, I found her early life fascinating uh, and uh, I, I was compelled to share it. Um, so it's really a fictional portrait um, of the young Bess Meyerson. Well, it, it is fascinating. And um, I guess I was more aware of Bess Meyerson after that period. You know, my earliest memory of Bess Meyerson is there was a TV show called The Big Payoff. And Bess modeled a mink coat on there. And she looked just so, so glamorous um, on there. And, and of course, I knew, you know, she was the Jewish Miss America, the only and the first and, 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 and still the only, only. So um, why, well, why did you choose to focus only on her early life? Because her later life is quite interesting also. And, and do you, in, do you intend to do a sequel? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't intend to do a sequel, but um, I uh, I really found um, Meryl the the early her early life was the part of um, Bess Meyerson that was less known really, um, and so that was what um, what I found most interesting. Um, 
in my previous two novels, I tend to look at the early life, um, the early adulthood of uh, my protagonists. And I did the same thing with Bess Meyerson. Um, she, you know, her, her beginnings um, were, you know, when I first learned about, um, uh, I of course knew as you do, and you did um, her, her later life and that she was a Jewish Miss, you know, was Miss America and the only Jewish woman to be Miss America. But <clears throat> I never, until I saw an article in early 2020 um, that listed her and next to her name was the date, which was September 8th, 1945. That took me back because I had just finished um, my previous novel and both my novels are based during that time period of the, right. of, of the Second World War. So mm -hmm. I was very steeped in the dates and the context and the idea that this Jewish woman was named Miss America six days after the official close of World War II was startling to me because I knew that we lived in, a, in an anti-Semitic, racist, misogynist kind of world then. And so I found it very peculiar, frankly. And I, I went to the library immediately and got a number of biographies to read about her just because I was curious. I, I hadn't yet committed that I would be writing a book, but I just was curious. And that's where it all starts. So once I started reading about her, it was her early life that intrigued me. And so that's really um, what brought me to the page. Yeah, well, it it was very um, interesting because I I certainly uh, never thought of her as, as a person who you know she she did have a a, a difficult uh, family life, but I also think it's interesting. You know, I didn't really think about it until until I read Bessie. But not only you know was it right after the end of World War too but you know this was in the wake of the holocaust so mm -hmm. um yeah did you know what what do you think the thinking was there well you know the the um uh she she struggled uh there were people who did not want a jewish woman to be miss america <clears throat> and in fact the um the pageant director lenora slaughter asked or you know tried to get Bess Meyerson to change her name right right mm -hmm. um, and she refused which which looking back really uh took a lot of courage for her to do that but you know if you you know can imagine here um in the 1930s and 40s like today American hostility you know against the Jewish people was very high you know and and, you know, it really reminded me of our current moment when you think about mid-1945, Hitler's dead, the Nazis are defeated, and yet there was all this propaganda spreading hatred and distrust at that time. So, um, you know, to think of her stepping onto that stage in Atlantic City, it, it's quite um, an incongruous sort of uh, visual in my mind. And it's interesting because I, I mean, I 
I don't even know whether it's on anymore. I no longer watch it, but I certainly watched it, you know, as a as a kid growing up. And I mean, if there happened to be one Jewish contestant from a state, you know, my parents probably mentioned it, but there have not been many um, Jewish women competing for that title. And there certainly has never uh, been, you know, an, another Jewish Miss America. So it's it's just kind of interesting. Well, you know, beauty was a peripheral quality in um, the world of Bess Meyerson. You know, she lived at a, in a she, she was the daughter of, of, um, poor Russian immigrants. She lived in the Bronx in a cooperative called Sholem Alechem, where right. there were lots of other Eastern European refugees. Um, the What was valued was achievement, was music, was art. And in fact, Bessie was a talented pianist. And and that's what she really intended to, to have a, a career as, as a concert pianist right yes exactly and and yet you know this was the very first year that uh miss america pageant had a five thousand dollars scholarship and it was really her sister who um, submitted her uh some photographs and submitted her for the miss new york city uh pageant that got her involved in all this um would you uh describe a little for our listeners (laughs) Uh, what it was like for women and especially Jewish women in post-World War II America and what obstacles did did best face and overcome? Well, um, Jewish, uh, uh, you know, there there had been right at the heels of, um, of the war, um, right about at that time, um, when she won the title, you know, the world was, um, it was six days after the official end of the war, as I mentioned, but it was after several desperate years of war, weeks after bombs are dropped on Japan. And they are just at that point, you know, the, the Nazi death, death camps are finally liberated, but they're just beginning to hear about the millions mm-hmm. right. uh, Jews who were persecuted. So these, these, these elements were sort of coming out slowly. Um, you know, when you're in the middle of it, and, and I wrote this from, from Bessie's point, close third point of view. So you're seeing the world through her eyes. You're not seeing the world through everyone's eyes. You understand? So, you, you know, she, as she's in high school and she's at the high school of music and art, um, where it was highly selective t- for, for students of all five boroughs of New York city, um, she's, she's there when Kristallnacht happens. Um, so, you know, she is, becomes aware of, of what is going on in Europe. And there were many, many, uh, who did not want America to be involved in the war. They did not want their sons to be sent across the ocean and fight in this war. And there were many who blamed Jewish people for, you know, the battle and and the loss, perhaps even of of their uh, sons or 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 you know loved ones, you know. So 
you know, the, the mood was not, uh, you know, kind, let's put it that way, toward, toward the Jewish people. Um, there were a lot of, I think at that point after, you know, they were discovering all these horrors, I think a lot of the, the hatred toward Jews went underground, so to speak, but I don't think it went away, you know, and it was that kind of a thing, um, you know, that was, was that director telling, uh, or asking, uh, Bess, Bessie to change her name, that it might be better for her to have a different name um, for her. Uh, you know, so it was those kinds of more subtle uh, kinds of attacks, really. Well, yeah, and it, it was certainly there. I mean, it's one of the, you know, one of the big questions is why didn't certainly Americans, but why, you know, why weren't Jews more out there um, protesting, you know, what was going on in Europe to the Jews, you know, once it became known and there were Jews who just didn't want to call attention to themselves, who yeah. didn't want to make trouble. I mean, this was definitely, you know, part part of the thinking uh, yeah. back then. So that's, that's totally uh, understandable. So I have to say, you know, in reading, in reading the book, I, I almost felt like it, it, you know, I couldn't tell what what you made up and what was what was was true. How how did you go about researching her life? Well, I read um, uh, several biographies. Um, all were very parallel in terms of what happened in you know for her early life so what's real as in most historical fiction you know that there are certain aspects of things that are absolutely fact i wasn't going to mess around with the fact that lewis and bella myerson were her parents and that she right. had that she was the uh, the middle of of three daughters her older sister was sylvia and her younger sister was helen and you know and that she lived at sholem alechem in the cooperative apartment so those touchdowns touchstones of her life i adhered to did she uh, really have such a difficult um contentious relationship with her mother her mother was a very critical you know uh perfectionist uh Yes, and uh, was was really a taskmaster for all the children. She wanted them to be music teachers. Um, she couldn't really read English, and um, uh, just had never had never really recovered. Um, she lost a, a son before Bess was born, and it it really changed her in certain ways. Um, th those kinds of things are are true, you know. Um, the details of those things, Meryl, you know, when you're reading uh, biographies, you know, you just get so much, mm -hmm. um, but you get enough to allow you to imagine, you know, conversations or situations like her looking out the window in one scene where she's seeing children playing in a park and, right. you know, she has to imagine that, it, you know, maybe she's thinking of, uh, you know, Yosef, you know, and so, right. um, uh, those kind of things become imagined relationships and um, uh, 
the reactions that, that Bessie might have had at her high school when she learned of Kristallnacht and when she's in a classroom, you know, those kinds of things weren't available in biographies. Um, but I knew where she went to high school and I, I was able to get a book uh, actually written by the first principal of the, the famous high school of music and art. So I was able to get a sense of what it was like to um, to attend school there. Um, I was able to get also a book about Hunter College where she went to college, you know? I was able to find a book and read it um, about New York during World War II. I, I lived in New York in the 80s. I go to New York all the time. My daughter lives in Brooklyn with her mm. husband. But I did not live in New York during that time. So to be able to have a book to read about New York during World War II was very, very helpful. So I found these elements um, in my research that allowed me to ground her into a reality. Um, and, and then those kinds of relationships and scenes um, would you know become imagined within the, the those 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 foundational elements of her life, right? So um, you you mentioned that uh, you called the book Bessie because that's what she was called in uh, the early part of her life. Did did you ever consider a different title? Nope, <laughs> I did not. Okay, well that was lucky. That was easy, huh? Yeah, you know, uh, titles do have come to me quickly. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I think it's important sometimes to to wrap your arm. Sometimes that allows me to move forward in a book is to really have that title. I know what I'm writing about, you know? Mm -hmm. So is there anything that we can learn from Bess Meyerson's early life? I think, yes, I think that Bess Meyerson uh, was a young woman, a young, a, a young girl who grew into a young woman who wanted to achieve, you know, she really did. I think that she grew up in that kind of cult culture that valued achievement, you know, and she wanted something to happen. She wanted to do something. She wanted to have a voice and she was eventually able to find it, you know, after some rather demeaning experiences in her early reign uh, as Miss America. And she was able to find that voice in uh, her experience with the Anti-Defamation League. Mm -hmm. um, she, um, uh, through- uh, That was interesting. Tell, tell us about that a little yes. bit. I mean, that yes. was really fascinating. Yes, I, I found it really fascinating. And the uh, ADL was very kind to get me all the early archives of, of, of her relationship there and, and early speeches. She, she had, um, uh, through her, a friend of her sister's, she was introduced to someone fairly high up at the Anti-Defamation League. And they were working on a campaign called the Brotherhood Campaign um, to support tolerance. Um, and it really went beyond anti-Semitism. It, uh, it, it was racial tolerance, really. You know, there was uh, the Jews and the Blacks really got together uh, during that time period. They were both being persecuted, frankly. Mm -hmm. And the ADL really uh, was created in 1913 
to fight hate. And that's what they're doing today. I mean, it, frankly, I find, you know, 110 years of being pretty darn consistent, you know, um, as I began my research of what they do, I became more and more impressed with it. But she became the voice of this brotherhood campaign. And she spoke um, on their behalf all over the country to high schools and to other groups um, say, you know, the theme they used because she was Miss America was you can't be beautiful and hate. Mm. And, um, and, and so that, that was her message. And it really gave her a, a, a voice um, that she was looking for. And, you know, as I get it in the epilogue, I, I, I briefly get into what happened after, you know, I end the book um, in 1946 after her reign as Miss America. But, you know, she did, she wanted that voice always, you know, she, she got into broadcast, like you mentioned in the beginning, you know, she got into broadcast television, she got into the early game shows that were so popular on, on broadcast at that point, um, first in the 50s, then the 60s, and then she got involved, very involved um, in New York politics, you know, oh, and, yeah. and became a real, you know, I lived in New York during the 80s mm -hmm. when she was mm -hmm. um, under Mayor Koch. She, and and she, she was, ran, she actually ran for Senate, I I think in 1980. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so she, she really, uh, yeah. And she, she was, she was a force. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, that was part of her DNA. I, I do think, you know, and I, and that's why, you know, seeing that created in the young Bessie, that really, you know, that, that's, that's why I love going into the, the early life of, 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 of people to, to see the moral and psychological underpinnings that made them who they are really. And she was that person that wanted to have a voice and wanted to have an impact. And she did continue to do that throughout her life. So do, do you think that she was a person ahead of her time? And, and do you, did you ever think of what she might've accomplished if she had been born later? I didn't think about if she was born later, but I do feel that, um, that, that, you know, she was a woman of, of significance. Um, she became a woman of significance and, um, uh, you know, I think she's a, a modern heroine, you know, in my mind, uh, you know, I, there had been some controversies in her life later, um, mostly through personal decisions that she made. Um, but I don't think that in any way, um, uh, you know, negates the good that she did and um, continued to do through her life in her activism and advocacy, um, you know, and support of, of many issues, um, along with her work in, in, um, in, you know, consumer affairs and cultural affairs uh, that she did in New York City. Well, you're you're the owner of Gramercy Books, an independent bookstore in Columbus, Ohio, and and I, and I want to get I'm going to get to that in a minute, but first I want to uh, ask you about your writing process. Um, can you tell us about that and how how long did it take you to write this book? And uh, I'd be curious also about. Uh, it's about the same as your previous books. I mean, yeah, it it pretty much. Um, I start 
uh, Meryl, with um, a curiosity, okay? There's something that I want to know. And um, in the case of Bessie, uh, I, I just, I wanted to understand how this young woman um, who at the age of 12 was nearly six feet tall and thought of herself as an ugly duckling, um, gawky and, and, you know, gangly and whatnot, how this young lady living in this, you know, poor immigrant artistic community, how this woman became a beauty queen. You know, I was very curious about that and, and how that came to be and who she was, you know? Um, so, so there's a curiosity that takes me, you know, that, that gets my commitment. I have to really, you know, kind of have that level of, of interest to commit myself to several years, which is what it takes to write a book. Um, I, when I'm in the, the middle of writing a book, when I'm really into that, I do try to set aside um, almost like appointments on my calendar where I'll have, I'll block off three hours and I'll try to do that three to six days a week, you know, when I'm in the real, you know, mm -hmm. ultimate, but, you know, as you said, I, I run a bookstore. I, 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 I run its author events. I'm, I'm very engaged day to day in, in, in my own bookstore. And so I have kind of an, another job, so to speak. So I, I do have to make time. And, um, when I'm in the, when I'm think when I, before I start writing, I do a lot of thinking. I do a lot of walking and thinking, and I try to, um, once once I start putting things on paper, I, I'll just start trying to put characters on paper and thoughts about my concept on paper. And as I keep thinking, I might embellish that and develop that. And eventually it allows me to, you know, the ideas to gel enough where I feel like I could you know, see a beginning and see maybe some kind of an end. It could be an image, um, but, it, but you know, I, I can contain it into, hey, it's in the last, actually the, the all three of my novels have been 10 years, but- Really, um, but yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. 10, years, and, 10 years each or 10, 10 years together? 10 years, 10 years the, 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 the period of time that I covered in my book, not the, the amount of time it took oh, me. Oh, but how but, long did yeah, you, from, how, your, from your, the inception of your idea to the- Oh, no, from the inception of my idea, it's usually somewhere between, you know, two to four years. Um, because you really, I have to say with a Richie boy, your timing was perfect. Yeah, well, it, it came out right during right right you know during the days of COVID, September of 2020. But it was um, also, I think, CBS did a whole thing on Richie Boys. It was yeah. all of a sudden in the news a lot. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was eight months after my book came out. By the way, it, it helped your book though, didn't it? It did help it after the fact. It was interesting. Richie Boy kind of had a second life when that happened. Yeah, it um, did. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That that was just pure luck. That's why sometimes things are just luck, you know? Uh -huh. um, but um, <clears throat> I found the... Um, uh, the virtual world was, uh, you know, opened up opportunities for all of us writers. You know, we we were able to go to more places, um, sometimes twice in a day. 
Um, Absolutely. You know, and so I was able to get, uh, uh, you know, kind of word of mouth on the on a Richie boy. And then when eight months later, uh, uh, the 60 Minutes piece hit and then they did a redo and they then they did a, a kind of updated it. They ran it a few times. Um, that really got renewed interest in, in that book. But yeah, I, I take about somewhere between, you know, two to three years in, in getting the, it's not that I'm writing for two to three years, but the process is happening. It's, I'm thinking about it. I'm starting to formulate it. I try to formulate it on paper. I then develop it further. Um, I start, you know, doing research. Um, research, I try to not, I, I, I get into research at a basic level, uh, and then as I start writing, I go back to research if it's something I need to know that I didn't, you know, I didn't get. Um, but I try not to get too, uh, you know, I try not to let research overwhelm or or keep me from writing because ultimately we are writing a story and, um, you know, research does have to end and story has to begin. So, um, <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, that's where, tell where me about it. Tell me about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so I want to, um, I want to talk a little bit of, have you talk a little bit about Gramercy books. Um, so what, what came first for you writing your own book or having the bookstore and how does your being, uh, the owner of this bookstore play into you being an author? Oh dear. Well, <laughs> um, so when I, um, wrote Toss's song, I don't think I yet, I did not have the bookstore yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but the concept of the bookstore, um, came about very serendipitously, um, it, it's certainly, I adore bookstores, indie bookstores. And for as long as I've been an adult, which is quite a long time, uh, wherever I traveled, uh, besides museums and all the typical places one visits, I always tried to go to an independent bookstore in a community because I felt that you always learned a little more about the community when you were in the bookstore. A little, it, it just, it, it, it really gave you a slice of life to see the bookstores. So I always loved them. I um, always spent time in them. You know, all of us who love books always dream about, hey, it would be great to have a bookstore, but it really was not a life goal, believe me. Um, I didn't have a plan to get a bookstore. It really just happened. Um, there, I live in a community uh, about three, or three to five miles uh, east of downtown Columbus, and it, it there was a, a small condo development right on Main Street in this community, and it was a, a reading community. It was right across from the local library, and first floor had to be retail. And this community, which is the community I live in, uh, had not, did not have a bookstore here since 1978. And it desperately could have, you know, needed a bookstore. So I just, that's when I, I just, it was the right time and the right place and location. And I just, you know, kind of jumped in 
and uh, developed a bookstore from scratch here. And it took three years in development, frankly. We opened our doors. Um, it was uh, December of 2016. So um, I suppose it was in development uh, during the Tassa song, you know, period, but it just didn't exist yet. Um, but I, I, yeah, it, 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 it was, um, uh, it, it's been open now since December of 2016, and it's been almost seven years and, and, and a great seven years, frankly. Um, I had no idea how much work it was going to be, but um, it is uh, certainly um, work that I, I love doing and um, just, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a community, become a community gathering place here. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's interesting how in just seven short years, I don't think one could imagine the community not having it, you know? That's great. So uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, um, I don't know how to, how, have, do you have, does having a bookstore uh, give you any insight into being an author, into the world of books, into selling books, buying books? Well, I, I, what perspective does it give you? Well, does my perspective give you some, right? Yes, yes. I, I certainly, I am in the book selling world now and I manage all of our author events. I create them, I produce them. We do about, at this point, we do on the average one event every single week. Um, we either have small intimate events in the bookstore or we go off site. We've done events for 25 people. We've done events for 750 people. Wow. And um, we um, do all kinds of um, genres of books. Um, I have, for example, um, uh, I had Temple Grandin last October. She's, um, I don't know if you're familiar yes, with her. Yes, I do. Yes. Okay. So she's an autistic PhD animal scientist who uh, opened our eyes to how autistic people see the world in her books about autism. So I had her uh, here last October, and this October, I will have V.E. Schwab, Victoria Schwab, who wrote um, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. She's a huge, popular um, fantasy writer, okay, uh, fiction fantasy, um, you know, very different kinds of authors, but I will have her in the same space that I had Temple Grandin uh, for 750 people, um, you know, and, and then I have, I've, I do, I still do one virtual event a month now. We, we put it under our Gramercy at home series. I had a lot of people when COVID ended and we stopped doing virtual events. I had a few people who would be out of town a bunch and in the winter particularly, and they'd say, gosh, I really miss, you know, not having any you know, events to see anymore because I'm not there. And so, you know, kind of thought, hey, I'm going to, you know, find unique events that, you know, can lend themselves to, um, you know, to, 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 uh, to Zoom where people will maybe still attend because we really did have a, a lot of uh, drop off, you know, after so many years of people were just sick and tired of, of you know, being on Zoom. But um, yeah, but so we do that and, and um, uh, it's, it's very busy. I read constantly. I read every book of an author I'm going to bring here. So 
I am reading probably a book every five days. So that has all, um, certainly changed um, for me writing because I think I'm a better writer uh, having been such a more voracious reader oh, now. Definitely, definitely. And and I think also I see, I have two lenses to see the world of publishing and they're two different lenses. Uh, and I think it's useful sometimes to have two different lenses um, with anything, frankly. What do you think about publishing today? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely competitive. Uh, it's very hard to break in now. I think that, um, you know, without, um, without agents, you know, a writer really can't find their way to um, the traditional world and even to um, uh, traditional non-big non five publishers. It's, it's very difficult. Um, I think, though, there's also an opening up of opportunities because there's, you know, obviously a lot of writers who are self-published. There's, there's um, the opportunity of hybrid publish, publishing. Um, there, there, there are, there are different ways to do things. And so, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a brave new world out there. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, indie, indie bookstores are, um, uh, you know, have to work a lot harder if they're going to um, hand sell books that aren't being, um, you know, really uh, <clears throat> uh, promoted in a big way from the publishers because they don't really have the dollars to, uh, you know, advertising dollars um, to really promote books. So they really have to work extra hard if there's a book, a small indie book that they're really interested and and supportive of. Um, it, it's it's harder. So it's it's harder all around for that indie small um, uh, author to to find find his or her way um, into a wider world of readers. But, um, you know, there are avenues and, um, you know, it, it's I, just to say the answer to your question, it's just very competitive, very competitive. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to um, be wrapping up soon. Is there anything else uh, you would like to share, Linda? Um, no, just uh, I think um, there's a level of relevancy um, to that time period um, that also was an appeal for me in in um, featuring, um, you know, the late 30s and and early 40s um, in Bessie. Um, I, you know, I, I think that uh, we're seeing a lot more um, anti-Semitism today. Uh, a lot more racism, a lot more violence. And I think that, uh, you know, we just, um, you know, it, history is always very helpful uh, to, because we're not witnesses um, necessarily. And, and reading these historical novels allow us to really inhabit that world and understand what happened you know, then, and sometimes what happened then is similar to what we see today. So I think that, that that's, that's always an important, important thing for readers. 
Yes. Uh, so what's next for you, Linda? Well, I'm, uh, you know, just continuing with my bookstore and I've got, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of a an idea that I'm in, in development of, you know, uh, it's, it's very hard. This early stage of it, you know, takes a while and I need to um, have that headspace um, with not without things going on um, to to really fully develop an idea, but I am um, in that process right now of uh, looking at a book number four. Wow, um, okay. I think it. Yeah, but it's it's in a very early stage, um, um, and if it it if it comes to be, it will be in a different time period. I think it'll still it be historical fiction. Will it be historical fiction? It will be, but it'll be a little bit later. <laughs> okay, okay, yes. Um, so where where can listeners find you online? Um can find me online in terms of, you know, my website is um, Linda Cass, www.lindacass.com. And I have a author website. I have lots of information. There's my, I haven't listed all the upcoming events, but some of them are listed on there. Um, you can also find me um, through my bookstore and that's, uh, www gramercy with one m gramercy books bexley b-e-x-l-e-y dot com so you can find me in either of those places i do a blog um not every month but pretty regularly for the bookstore as well so um, my last blog was about book banning actually <laughs> wow well thanks so much for joining us today linda cass her new book is bessie I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack. People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain, the author of The Takeaway Men. The sequel, Shadows We Carry, is available now. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylain.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book. <laughs>